and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us sing together number Psalm 56.
Before we turn to God's word, let us pray. O God, it is good to gather together as your people. We thank you for for the fellowship we enjoyed between the worship services. We thank you for the, the love and encouragement that we can express to one another. We thank you for the word that was heard, that was preached and was heard this morning. May you continue to bless that word to our hearts. And we thank you for the sacrament that was celebrated, that we could remember Christ's death, what he has done for us, for our sake. And we pray that along those same lines we would continue to think about what Christ has done, what he has endured, what he has suffered for us. So guide us now as we open your word. We pray that you would give us understanding. May you give us strength and energy and desire to 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 read, to hear your word, to hear it proclaimed, that you would remove all distractions so that we may hear your voice. May you speak through your servant and give him what he needs to proclaim in boldness and all truth. And may we glorify you in all that we do and think in this worship service together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let us turn now to God's word. Let us first turn to Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is one of those psalms that really parallels what Christ endured, what he endured on on the cross. And so it, it connects with the passage we will read after it. And we won't read the whole psalm. We will stop kind of just before before it before it turns a corner. We focus here on, on the suffering of our Lord. So Psalm twenty two we'll begin reading at verse one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? O my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me. 
like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count on my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my, li- my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. Thus far, and let us now turn to Matthew 27. Matthew 27, verse 11. Verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and Pilate is the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they, then, they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas, or Jesus, who is called Christ. For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, He took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him up to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the, into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! 
And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split the tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection they went into the holy city and appeared to many when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what had took pl- took place they were filled with awe and said truly This was the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord, his inspired, infallible word. Let us now sing Psalm 69, verses 1, 4, 7, and 11. Psalm 69.
We now turn to Lord's Day 15, continuing the study on the different parts of the Apostles' Creed. What do you confess when you say that he suffered? During all the time he lived on earth, but especially at the end, Christ bore in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. Thus, by his suffering, as the only atoning sacrifice, he has redeemed our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtained for us the grace of God, righteousness, and eternal life. Why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? Though innocent, Christ was condemned by an earthly judge, and so he freed us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. Does it have a special meaning that Christ was crucified and did not die in a different way? Yes. Thereby I am assured that he took upon himself the curse which lay on me for a crucified one was cursed by God. And then so our main focus then would be Matthew 27, 45, and 46. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Dear brothers and sisters, it is interesting that the Apostles' Creed moves directly from born of the Virgin married Mary to suffered under Pontius Pilate. In other words, we go immediately from, from the manger to the cross, from Jesus' birth to his death. As one of the writers of the Catechism puts it, Jesus went from his mother's womb to the tomb. But what about the rest of his life? Is it not important? Well, it certainly is. We know that Jesus went through all the stages of life from infancy to an adult man until he died in his 30s. If the whole life of Jesus was not important, if only his death was essential, he would not have had to live all those years before he got to the cross. We are familiar with the fact that Jesus died to save us from our sins. But let us never forget that our Lord also lived to save us. He did that by earning for us the perfect righteousness, by performing all the requirements of God's law. 
And by so doing, he lived a life of complete obedience and sinlessness. Jesus had to live this perfect life for us to save us. Now, Jesus' life was marked by suffering from the beginning of his life to the end. His humiliation and suffering began even before he was born, while he was still in the womb of his mother, with the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem that his mother had to make, and not finding any room in Bethlehem to be born, and having to be placed in a manger in a feeding trough for animals. And then Jesus' parents had to flee to Bethlehem with Jesus when he was a young toddler so that he would not be killed by Herod. Jesus dealt constantly with being misunderstood even by his own parents. When he was 12 years old, after a trip to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover, they couldn't find him. So they returned to Jerusalem and spent the whole day looking for him. And it didn't occur to him that he would be in the temple. His mother rebuked him, saying, Son, why have you treated us so? And Jesus, in response, gently admonished his earthly parents, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? His parents did not understand what he said. But yet Jesus went with them and was submissive to them. Jesus' suffering and humiliation continued all through his life, but it intensified during his public ministry as he taught the word of God about the kingdom of God and about himself. At one point when Jesus was teaching and ministering to a crowd of people, his family tried to, to seize him and were saying, he's, he's out of his mind. Jesus was regularly called names such as a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of sinners and tax collectors. In Luke 4, he was rejected in his hometown of Nazareth and was even forced out of town where they tried to throw Jesus down the cliff. Matthew 4, he suffered from the devil through intense temptation. Hebrews 2.18 says, Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So dear loved ones, Jesus suffered in temptation to help us, to help you in your times of temptation. Isaiah 53 foretells about Jesus as the suffering servant. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. The suffering of Jesus culminated in the last week of his life and especially during the last day. Completely innocent, he had to go on trial before an ungodly, earthly ruler, a judge. He was accused by the chief priests and the, and the elders, but he remained silent. 
He did not defend himself. Pilate set Barabbas free, even though he was obviously guilty for the crimes he committed. But he delivered Jesus, the one who was innocent, to be crucified. Barabbas represents you and me. We are obviously guilty for our crimes, and we deserve to die for our sins. But Jesus stepped forward and took our place. The innocent one was sent to die for the guilty. Pilate gave Christ to the soldiers who who ridiculed him, mocked him, hit him, spit upon him. Jesus suffered most in his death on the cross from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Death by crucifixion was a cruel and gruesome method of execution that involved an, an immensely painful, slow torture. Death by crucifixion was common in Jesus' time. Jesus was one of many who had been crucified during the time of the Roman Empire. In fact, he was, he was one of, of three that day that we know about. But its commonness does not lessen the amount of sacrifice and suffering that Jesus went through on your and my behalf. The Catechism says that Jesus suffered in his body and soul. We can begin to look at the suffering that he endured in his body. But we don't need to dwell there for very long on, on the physical aspect of Jesus' suffering because the Bible doesn't focus on the physical suffering. And partly because the readers, the first readers of the Gospels understood very well what crucifixion was like. But we don't know, know it as well because we didn't live in that time. Now, crucifixion began with scourging. Jesus was stripped and tied to a post and beaten by several torturers who whipped him over and over. The whip contained multiple leather cords, and at the end of each cord there was embedded pieces of bones or or metal. Scourging with, with this device could kill a person as skin was torn open and and the insides exposed. Jesus was whipped severely. He then was forced to carry the heavy horizontal crossbar to the place of execution, but Jesus collapsed part way because of the severe scourging that he received, and so Simon of Cyrene carried the cross member the rest of the way. At the site of execution, Jesus' hands or his his wrists were nailed to the crossbar, which was then fastened to to an upright beam. And lastly, nails were driven through his ankles. Contrary to what pictures have shown us, crosses were, were low, just one to two feet above the ground to allow the onlookers to add to their suffering with their ridicule and scorn. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. He trusts in God. 
Let God deliver him now if he trusts in him, if he desires him. So Jesus hung on the cross beginning at 9 o'clock on Friday morning. And as he hung there, he had to pull himself up with his, with his arms and or push down on his feet in order to breathe. It defies the imagination of how excruciatingly painful it was for Jesus to die in this way. But as bad as the physical suffering was that Jesus endured, it was, it was far from being the worst part of his suffering. Jesus' physical suffering was insignificant compared to the spiritual suffering that he went through represented by the complete darkness that God sent. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, from noon until 3 p.m., there was darkness over all the land. It was not a cloudy or stormy day, nor was the darkness the result of a solar eclipse. Ellipses, eclipses do give an ominous and strange darkening, but not complete darkness for three hours. We know that Jesus' crucifixion and death happened at the time of the Passover. And Passover happened at full moon. There's no such thing as an eclipse at a full moon. Solar eclipses happen during the new moon phase. The darkness described at Jesus' death can only be described as a supernatural event sent by God. This is strangely familiar to what happened just before the first Passover, just before the death of the firstborn in the book of Exodus chapter 10. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. And there was darkness in all the land for three days. This time the darkness was felt for three hours upon the land of Israel. Amos 8, 9 seems to predict the day of Jesus' death. On that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. Darkness throughout the scriptures is often a sign of judgment. Certainly God was letting his judgment be known upon sin, upon our sin, the sin of, of all his people that Jesus bore upon himself. Complete and utter darkness covered the land because of what was happening between the Father and the Son. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, what, what he suffered there. Apart from the suffering he experienced on the cross, what he endured in the Garden was, was the most intense suffering he endured in the soul. He said, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. He prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. The cup represented the wrath of God that he would have to endure. And then he was in agony and, and he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became, 
be, became like great drops of blood that fell to the ground. Jesus was in agony because what he had to face. And what he had to face was the wrath of God unleashed in all its fury. The greatest suffering that Jesus endured was God's wrath. The separation of God from God the Father. Jesus was forsaken by God. Do you think that Jesus could have known ahead of time what that would be like? The relationship that Jesus had with the Father had never, ever been broken. For all eternity, Jesus had enjoyed a perfect union of love with his Father and, and the Spirit. Never broken, never hindered, never lacking, always complete, always a perfect fellowship, always a joyous and wonderful relationship. How can we understand that perfect and intimate relationship? There's nothing on earth that comes close to displaying the, the love and unity, the, the closeness that the Father and, and the Son always enjoyed. Perhaps the only thing that, that can picture it just a little bit is, is, is the love and, and intimacy between a husband and, and a wife. Of, of a very close marriage. Let's now meditate on those haunting words that Jesus cried out at three o'clock in the afternoon. As, as the Holy Spirit led Matthew in writing the account, he could still hear the sound and, and the tone and the volume of Jesus' words, of the voice of Jesus. It was so memorable that he had to write it in the language that Jesus said it in, in, in Aramaic, unlike the, the, the Greek of, of the rest of the gospel. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was in complete agony. His death by crucifixion was like no other. No man, no person had ever been in such bitter suffering as he was in. This was the moment that Jesus bore the weight of the sin of, of humanity. Can we fathom such weight that our sin bearer carried all my sin from my whole life right up to, the, to this day and all the sin I will commit for the rest of my life. All of your sin and every sin of every saved child of God Jesus carried on his shoulders. My and your sin was the cause of Jesus' suffering. He suffered in our place because he is merciful. He took our place 
because God chose us before he created us to be his children. Because Jesus became the the sin offering, he had to be punished for it. God hates sin. He is too pure to, to look upon sin. He cannot dwell with it. So he poured his, his wrath and anger upon Jesus who bore our sin. And at, and at the same time, God separated himself from his son. Experiencing God's wrath and separation was almost too much for Jesus to bear. No man could bear what Jesus bore. But because Jesus is also God, he was able to endure it. And he was the sinless one. Our sin was the reason that God sent his son into the world to become human and to live a perfectly obedient and sinless life. Jesus went willingly, knowing that he, as the sinless one, would have to suffer so much. Jesus was willing to be treated as if he was the worst sinner in the universe. On the cross, Jesus bore pure evil, the blackness of sin, the misery of sin, every last sin he carried on his back. Jesus was willing to be separated from his father so that you and I could have a restored relationship with the father in heaven. What a sacrifice Jesus made. Some of us have felt like we've been forsaken by God in our, at times in our lives. There are times when when the brightness of of the smile of our Father in heaven is is hidden. It's hidden by the clouds of life. We feel very keenly our earthly suffering in times of death and loss, when we have to endure physical pain. Jesus rightly cried out to his Father in heaven, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But no believer, no believer in Jesus Christ can rightly say these words. These words to God. Because Jesus said these words, we never have to. Because Jesus was forsaken, we never will be forsaken by God. He doesn't abandon his children. It only seems that way at times. We may feel forsaken, but we are not if our trust is in Jesus. He will never leave us or forsake us. May this comfort you when you, when you miss your loved one who has died when you feel lonely or when you struggle with physical pain, weakness, or disease, or when someone hurts you or when you worry about the uncertain future. 
We complain when our Father in heaven seems a little more distant, but only Jesus experienced a real forsaken, a forsaking from God his Father. Can we understand how deep the suffering was for Jesus who experienced the wrath of God and the separation from his love? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can we grasp what happened there on the cross in complete darkness? Well, sadly, sinful mankind is dreadfully familiar with being separated from God, but even they on this earth, by common grace, experience blessings from God while they live on earth. But much of humanity what humanity wants is they, they live for themselves and they, they do have that separation from God, but not the Son of God. He had never experienced this before. This was the worst suffering. It was unimaginable suffering. Now, there are many things going on here for us to understand to try to understand. It's good for us to take time right now to try to understand it and also on our own. When Jesus cries, my God, my God, it it expresses an aspect of his faithfulness, of of carrying out to, to the end what God called him to do. In the agony of of separation and infinite wrath from God, Jesus still calls out, my God. And as he calls out, Jesus expresses the the consequence of his obedience, of his obedience to God, and that consequence is being forsaken. And this pleased God. His obedience pleased God. Richard Sibbs said, Jesus is never more obedient, never pleases the Father more than when he utters these words on the cross. So think about that. Jesus had completed what God called him to do. Now, why did Jesus allow himself to suffer unimaginably and then give up his life? Why did, the, why did God the Father who loved Jesus eternally and infinitely cause this to happen? Because you are loved. And you have been adopted by, by him to be his child. And to make that happen, there there had to be payment for our sin. God's justice had to be exercised. And Jesus was the only one who could be the perfect sinless sacrifice and thus be our substitute. The Catechism says that he did this in order that by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice He has redeemed our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtained for us the grace of God, righteousness, and eternal life. 
As Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Romans 5, 18 explains that Adam's sin brought condemnation for all men, but, Je- but Jesus' righteousness leads to justification and life to all men. And 2 Corinthians 5, 21 summarizes very concisely of what, what Jesus did and why he did it. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus made the infinite sacrifice so that the great exchange could happen. He chose to take our sin away and in, and in exchange grant us his righteousness. He willingly chose to take our sin upon himself and therefore accept the unimaginable suffering of being separated from his beloved Father. Jesus earned for us righteousness by his perfect sinless obedience. He took our sin upon himself and with his death and resurrection we have been granted his resurrection we've been granted his righteousness we are no longer condemned or cursed because of our sin through Christ we no longer have to die for our sin and be punished eternally in hell Jesus took away our sin our condemnation our curse by God's grace Jesus earned for us righteousness, justifying us as acceptable before the Father and granting us eternal life to live and worship in his presence forever. The Bible explains the importance of the way Jesus died by crucifixion. Because Jesus was crucified, he shouldered our curse. It was God's will for him to die by crucifixion. He took our sin upon himself and shouldered the curse of our sin for each of us. Deuteronomy 10.27, quoted in Galatians 3.10, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. All those who cannot keep the law of God perfectly are cursed. And and Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Deuteronomy 21 explains that if, if a man was punished by being hung on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day for a hanged man is cursed by God. By knowing that Christ died by crucifixion, I am assured that he took upon himself the curse which lay on me for a crucified one was cursed by God. The suffering and death of Jesus accomplished reconciliation and life for all those who believe 
in him. Now when Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, he willingly yielded up his spirit, his life. And when Jesus gave up his life, the work, his work of salvation was complete. And then the curtain of the temple was, was torn in two from, from top to bottom. And the fact that it was torn from top to bottom signifies that it was God. God was the one who tore it. The curtain, that curtain had separated man from where the presence of God was represented. The curtain kept sinful man, men and women from the holy God. If anyone tried to go past the curtain, they would be killed. So the elimination of the curtain meant that the barrier to enter the presence of God was removed through the sacrifice of God's Son. Through Christ offering himself as a sacrifice and his death on the cross and his resurrection, we are accepted as forgiven and are now considered righteous in God's sight. So people of the Lord Jesus Christ, the separation of God from mankind has been removed, has ended. Jesus has done everything needed to reconcile us and bring us back into relationship with him. Today, those who believe in Jesus can approach him directly, immediately, and confidently. We have been blessed immeasurably to be given direct and unrestricted access to the Lord. This is our highest privilege, to enter God's presence and enjoy him forever. Take full advantage of this. You have a Father in heaven who loves you, who gave his Son to pay for our, son, our sins. God has done everything required on our behalf so that we can be in relationship with him, so that he can adopt us as his very own children. God has removed the barrier that was between him and us. So come and enter God's presence. Pray to him openly and constantly, for he hears your prayers because of Jesus. And worship him in never-ending praise. Amen. Let us sing hymn 25, Who Has Believed Our Message.
We will say now what we believe. We said the Apostles' Creed this morning or sang it, so now we will say the Nicene Creed. So this is a, just a, an expansion, a bigger version of what we believe, a summary of what we believe. So I invite you to let us say together, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us men and our salvation came down from heaven and became incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he arose according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who spoke through the prophets. And we believe one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us now come to our God in a time of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, you are our Father because of Jesus Christ, your Son who suffered in his body and soul so that we can pray to you and be in relationship with you. What you gave, what Christ sacrificed for us is immeasurable. He suffered because of our sin, because of what we owed you. We pray, O God, that what we heard in the preached word that we would remember what Christ suffered for us and praise you. Help us to understand what he endured on our behalf. Thank you that he suffered to bring us to you. And thank you, dear Jesus, that though you are equal to the Father and shared eternal perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit, that you humbled yourself. You took the form of a servant. You set aside your divine power and did not take advantage of your heavenly privilege. You were born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, you truly humbled yourself. And you lived among sinful men and women. You patiently lived out your life as a child and then as a man. Thank you for your perfect obedience. You suffered in temptation and ridicule, scorn and mistreatment from people everywhere. You went all the way to the cross where you suffered beyond our full understanding. Thank you that you were forsaken by God so that we will never be forsaken. 
Dear Father, we are immensely grateful that through the suffering and death of Christ, we have been saved from your wrath, that we are forgiven of all our transgressions, iniquities, and sins, that we have been freed from being condemned by the law, from being saved from eternal damnation in hell, and instead that you have declared us righteous from your heavenly throne. We thank you that Jesus performed the righteousness perfectly that you gave him to do. Thank you that he completed the suffering you ordained for him. We praise you that he gave his life and committed his spirit to you, declaring triumphantly, it is finished. All his work of redemption you accepted and you vindicated him, raising him from the dead. We praise you for this church you chose many of these people to be your, your very own adopted children. You rescued them from darkness and being lost in their sin. We love you for what you have done. And we pray for any among us or any other family members, others that we know who have not yet repented and put their faith in Christ. We ask that you would cause them to be reborn, lead them to repentance and to believe in the one Savior, the one name by which people may be saved. We thank you for Sardis Canadian Reformed Church, whom you called out of the world to be a worshiping community, to glorify you, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to equip the saints for ministry. We thank you for providing men to serve you and care for this flock. Would you equip the consistory to encourage the people and families to follow Christ, to love you, to, to serve? Give the elders much wisdom in matters of discipline and counseling. Equip the deacons to care for the earthly needs of these people and to encourage them to use their gifts in service to you. And we thank you for providing one man, Reverend Veenstra, to preach and teach your life-giving word. We thank you for his gifts and his passion for you, his love for your word and his care for your people. May he grow in his walk with you. Fill him with your spirit to boldly proclaim the whole counsel of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lead him as a husband and father. Provide for and bless his family. And we ask, O oh God, that you would lead all of us to give our whole lives to following Jesus Christ, who gave all of himself for us. Guide us in this week ahead. Protect us from temptation, from evil. Keep us close to you that we may follow closely in, in obedience to you and in, in, in ways that are pleasing to you. Help us to take with us your word, what we have heard, and what we have tasted in, in, in the sacrament. And we pray that you would, you would guide us now as we continue to worship you, as we give of our offerings for, for Christ for all ministry. May you bless this ministry and guide them, and we pray that we would give in sacrifice and in cheerfulness to you. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.
Let us now give of our offerings to Christ for all ministry.
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Thank you.